We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. We're going to talk a bit more on the Lakers series against the Grizzlies. We'll talk a little bit of Anthony Davis, John Morant's injury, and so much more. I'm Trevor Lane for LakersNation.com. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane, over on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. Before we dive into everything, it's playoff time. If you're not doing so already, Make sure you subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications as well. We're going to keep you up to date with everything going on in the world of the Lakers. And, of course, also go subscribe to the podcast feed over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And a great way you can help out the show is by giving us that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. takes you about 20 seconds, and we sure would appreciate it. Joining me on today's show is Ron Gutterman from LakersNation.com, as well as the Los Angeles Dodgers, and, and he does a little bit of everything. Ron, how are you doing? I, I'm doing good. Yeah, it's a it's a busy, busy time. Um, yeah, I got Dodgers stuff. You know, we got the Lakers in the playoffs. I'm also doing uh, draft work for, for another publication. Uh, so diving into the NBA draft ahead of time. But yeah, a lot of stuff going on. But this series is, uh, you know, proven to be an exciting one after game one. So let's let's start there. Game one. My fear is this, Ron, that people look at the final score with the Lakers winning by 16 and just go, oh, the Lakers blew out the Grizzlies. This was a one point game with like just under three minutes to play. And then the Lakers got seven consecutive possessions where they scored offensively and got stops. They got stops and scores seven times in a row to close out the game. I mean, Hey, that's the way you want to close out a game, but I think the final score makes it look like the Lakers just cruised. And this was actually, I, I thought quite a battle uh, for the, and I thought the Lakers was a better team on the night, but the final score might make it look like this was an easier outing for LA than it actually was. So with that in mind, what are you anticipating here for game two? Yeah, I think the Grizzlies uh, probably are going to come out strong in game two. I think they want to prove you know, that they are the better team, at least in their mind, um, that they're the better team. They want to protect home court. They don't want to drop two on their home floor and go to L.A. down 0-2. It's kind of like a terrible place to be in if you're uh, if you're the home court advantage team. It's, you know, worst case scenario. Um, and regardless of whether or not John ja Morant is playing, and we'll get into his injury, I assume, at some point, uh, they are not a, a team to be taken lightly to win a game or two. Um, 
you know, they, they can steal games at, at any time. This is a very good team. They're the two seed for a reason. And, you know, I, what I want to, like, avoid, you know, is the Lakers getting complacent if, if Morant is ruled out. Because um, if John Morant is ruled out, I think the, the narrative becomes, oh, the Lakers should, should sweep or the Lakers should have an easy time the rest of the way. And I think the Grizzlies are not a team to be taken lightly. Regardless, we saw what Jaron Jackson Jr. can do offensively in game one. Uh, Desmond Bain and Tyus Jones are not to be taken lightly. So I think it's important that the Lakers keep their foot on the gas pedal here and really go for uh, getting a 2-0 lead heading back to L.A. Uh, That way, if you drop one at home, you know, it's not the end of the world. You still have the advantage in the series. Um, So I think they just can't take the Grizzlies lightly. It's time to get greedy, as the Lakers say, right? This is this is what they have an opportunity to do now. To go into Memphis and get two games would be absolutely devastating to the Grizzlies' hopes. And I think, Ron, it's actually important for the Lakers as well. This is a team that has a 38-year-old LeBron James. Anthony Davis just turned 30. We know both of them have injury. Both of them are managing active injuries right now. If there is any way, and I'm not saying you can just look past the Grizzlies and say it's a foregone conclusion the Lakers are winning. In no way can you do that. But if there is any kind of opportunity to make this a short series in the Lakers' favor, they need to take advantage of that and play as few of games as possible. Now, again, that is much easier said than done. But I think for the Lakers specifically, if they have an opportunity to get a series done with quickly and then get more rest, they need to take advantage of it. There needs to be some urgency, if only for that factor, beyond just, hey, you want to win the series. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers are definitely one of the most, like, rest-necessary teams uh, in the playoffs. Um, part of the reason, you know, I, I put my playoff prediction out there, and I had the Lakers losing in the conference finals, and part of why I had them losing in the conference finals to the Nuggets, people got mad, like, how could you say the Lakers are going to beat the Nuggets? Like, uh, the, the Nuggets are going to beat the Lakers. Like, how could you possibly say that the Lakers are clearly the better team? My My thought process was, the Lakers at that point in my prediction world uh, would have needed six games to take care of Memphis and six or seven to take care of the Warriors, which is who I had in the second round. You know, they're down 2-0, so I don't know about that anymore. Uh, but that's what I had. And so by the time they got to the conference finals, I thought, well, they've already played 13, potentially 14 games, and the Nuggets in my world would have only played, you know, 11 uh, so the the Lakers are that team that, you know, is they're liable to run out of gas. I know we talk about the 76ers all the time in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference as a team that runs out of gas. This Lakers team gives me a similar vibe of a team that could absolutely, if they are not taking care of business early, could run out of gas in the long run. And I think, you know, a, a John Morant injury is, you know, really tough to see. I would have loved to see these two teams be fully healthy for the whole series. Um, but it's an opportunity for the Lakers to put their foot on the gas pedal and go win this series in four or five games if possible. Again, like you said, it's easier said than done, but for that specific reason, it's just you can't mess around. Yeah, it means that Memphis is going to have obviously an incredible sense of urgency. Their backs are against the wall. You know, if you go, not just going down 0-2 in a playoff series, but going down 0-2, losing those two games at home, that is a bad, bad, bad spot. Your odds of moving on, I don't have them in front of me, but your odds of moving on are, are very, very slim at that point. So you know Memphis is going to be playing desperate 
in game two. I don't know if the Lakers can necessarily match that desperation, but they have to be playing at a level that's going to be at least somewhat close to the urgency that we're going to see Memphis playing with. Now, if the Grizzlies are missing John Morant, I think that does change quite a bit in this series, particularly the Grizzlies' ability to get out in transition and attack the Lakers. The Lakers have a fairly slow transition defense that just doesn't do a great job getting back. And We saw the Grizzlies try to exploit that in game one. If there's no John Morant, that takes away part of a weapon, I, I think, for Memphis. But here's the thing, and this is what we're so used to in the NBA. As soon as there's an injury, we know what it is. We know there's all the reporting around it, word breaks and all that kind of stuff. And maybe, maybe, I know later today we're going to get an injury report. Maybe there's something a little bit more on, on jaw, but I doubt it. Typically in the playoffs, teams will play everything close to the vest and do everything they can because it's a competitive advantage, do everything they can to not reveal what an injury is, how serious it is, because they want the Lakers to be guessing whether or not Jaw is going to be playing. Look, the Clippers did it with, with Kawhi Leonard. What was that, last year, year before, where he was done. They knew he was done, and they still acted like, oh, he might play. He, he could totally play next game. We're not sure. This could really happen. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty all the way up until 30 minutes prior to game time when teams have to submit their official lineups uh, heading into game two, whether or not we see John Morant on the floor. But what's what's your thought on that? And then... What do you think changes if Jaw is not available? Yeah, I think um, they're probably, I mean, you're right. They're definitely playing things close to the vest. There is a chance that John Morant is just unable to go. Like there is no chance he's ever going to play, but of course they're going to do it that way. I mean, Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL. Like it wasn't like a sprain or like he tore his ACL and the Clippers said, eh, Maybe, maybe he plays, maybe he (laughs) plays next game. You don't know. We don't know. But like he had a torn ACL. So we really don't know with John Morant what his injury is. Um, But yeah, if he is unable to go uh, in game two or game three or however, you know, whatever, if he can't go, it does put the Lakers, I think, at a significant advantage because of what you said about Memphis being a team that likes to get out and run. And that's how. I believed they were going to, like, if they were going to beat the Lakers, it was because they were going to run them out of the gym. Uh, the Lakers weren't going to be able to keep up. They were going to get tired. Uh, they they weren't going to have the transition defense to stop John Morant. But if you take John Morant out, now you look at what they have, and what they have is a group of, again, still very talented players, but players who don't play as fast. Desmond Bain uh, is not a player who plays as fast. Jaron Jackson Jr. is athletic. Obviously, he's fast. But he's not the kind of run and gun, you know, type of guy that John Morant is. John Morant is on another level when it comes to getting out ahead of the defense and and making things happen in transition. So now the Grizzlies become much more of a half court team with Desmond Bain, with Tyus Jones, with Jaron Jackson Jr., with, with the group they have, Xavier Tillman. And if they're a half court team, if this becomes a series of half court on half court. I, I think the Lakers have a significant advantage. Um, I think it's going to be really difficult for the Grizzlies to outmatch the Lakers in half-court execution because the Lakers have two guys who are among the best in this generation at half-court execution. And we've seen what Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, mm-hmm. even D'Angelo Russell can do in game one, kind of controlling the pace of the half-court game. So I, I think the Lakers are at a significant advantage if John Morant can't go. 
if he can go, uh, then obviously the Lakers need to play it just how they did in game one, which is uh, control the pace as much as possible. Obviously, you cannot stop John Morant from getting out and running from time to time. But if you control the pace, if if you make the Grizzlies use up more clock than they would like to, um, it, it gives you a better chance. So, that you know, it's it's really they need to prepare either way to control the pace and keep the game as a slow-moving half-court game. You know, I thought what was interesting – um, and actually what I, I really enjoyed about the Lakers, particularly the way they closed out the game. I was watching this again last night. The Lakers really took like the Grizzlies defense was clearly geared towards certain guys shooting the ball. Um, Rui Hachimura being one of them. Desmond Bain talked about that after the game that, hey, that was our game plan was for Rui Hachimura to shoot. And he made them. And then, you know, he had his little comment about about, you know, it was the best game of his career. And we'll see if he can do it again and kind of you know, implying that Rui is not a very good player or whatever. But that aside, the Lakers, to use my own phrase here, punished the Grizzlies for their choices over and over and over again. The Grizzlies defense kept kept saying, oh, we're going to sell out to try to stop AD. Rui said, cool, I'm going to hit this open jumper that, that you're giving me um, down the stretch. It wasn't a LeBron. LeBron was just spotting up. It was Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis pick and roll. Jaron Jackson Jr. multiple times in a row on that sagged off in order to prevent the lob to AD. And Austin said, cool, I'm going to burn you by knocking down this jumper and then this next jumper. Then they ran it again, and Jaron Jackson finally said okay and came up and defended Reeves. And then Jaron Jackson got called for a, a bad screen and that put uh, or, a, or a foul, and that put he was holding AD, and that put AD on the free throw line. I was really curious to see what was going to happen on that next possession when Jackson actually came up and tried to defend. We were either going to get a lob to AD – uh, against a smaller defender or Austin was getting ready to put the moves on Jaron Jackson and attack him <laughs> off the dribble. I was here. I wish that a foul wasn't called there in hindsight because I really wanted to see what was going to happen in that possession, but can the Lakers continue to win that way? Not necessarily forcing the ball to LeBron, not necessarily forcing the ball to AD, but just saying, Hey, this is the shot the Grizzlies are giving us. And we're confident that Rui, that Troy Brown, that Austin, that D'Lo, that all of these guys will make the correct play in that moment. Yeah, I mean, look, in the playoffs, uh, sometimes you have to just force the ball to your superstars and hope um, that they're able to do something. So there, there are going to be games, either in this series or in any potential future series if the Lakers get there, where LeBron and AD are going to have to put the team on their back and go win the game themselves. That's just how the playoffs, the nature of the playoffs. But... Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and even now Roy Hachimura can be thrown in there. Like they have proven that if you give them the opportunity to make the right play, they're going to make the smart play more often than they don't. And that's really all you're asking of them. Yeah. Like it would be great if Roy Hachimura went 11 for 14 every game, but odds are Desmond Bain is right. And, and Roy Hachimura is not going to do that every game, even if they leave him open. But you can trust, based on what Rui Hachimura did in game one, that he's going to make the correct play more often than he won't. Austin Reeves is the same way. He's just reading and reacting to the defense. He is not, like, Austin Reeves is not doing anything particularly special in terms of, like, beating guys off the dribble and, you know, making outside of the behind-the-back pass. Like, he's not making these insane, you know, world-beating passes. Like, he's just simply watching what the defense is doing and reacting to it, if they're going to leave him open, every NBA player is capable of knocking down 14, 16 footers 
uh, in the lane with momentum. Like that's they were giving him that all day long. And the second they stopped giving him that, he was able to make the right pass. And those are things that to me are sustainable. Um, yeah, and so that's I, that's key. Yeah. That's key, right? That's not this wasn't Austin Reeves went berserk and was beating and just breaking guys down off the dribble and dropping them to a to the ground with a crossover and driving into the yeah. paint and dunking over it. But that's not what that's not the way Austin closed out this game. Austin just took what the defense gave him and said, "Cool, you're going to leave me open. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to hit this shot." And that's why I was so curious to see what was going to happen when the Grizzlies defense switched uh, and changed up their strategy against him because now. If that changes, if suddenly the Grizzlies defend Austin differently, they suddenly defend Rui differently, we might very well see a big AD game, a big LeBron game, because suddenly the Grizzlies are like, well, damn, we can't leave Austin now. We can't leave Rui. We can't leave, you know, these other guys can't hurt us. Yeah, and uh, like Anthony Davis talked about this after game one. He said, like, he hopes that a performance like this gets the defense to start taking Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura and D'Angelo Russell more seriously. Because then it's, for Anthony Davis, it's, hey, less double teams I have to face. And everyone knows that if I'm one-on-one, I'm going to win way more often than I'm not going to win. Um, and so that that's kind of the hope for the Lakers. Game one, I think, went about as well as it could have for the Lakers. Um, obviously, in, in terms of the shot making, sure. But just in terms of the fact that they went on to the Memphis Grizzlies home floor, the Grizzlies were one of the best. I think they were the best home team in the NBA this season. Um, And yeah, they won by 16. But more importantly, they were in control of the pace for a majority of the game. Yes, the Grizzlies had, you know, a small lead here and there. They led by six. They led by eight. They led by five, whatever. But even when that was happening, it never felt like the Lakers weren't in, in some form of control of the game. They had control of the pace. And that's the really important thing Because if the Lakers didn't really have control and it was just a run-and-gun game, but the Lakers made 60% of their threes, I would say, you know, I don't know how sustainable this is. I don't Mm -hmm. know if they can repeat this. But what the Lakers did in game one, I absolutely think they can repeat. Yeah, I mean, people will look and say, well, Rui's not going to give you 29. No, but somebody else maybe isn't going to give you 29, but it's very within the realm of possibility for other players to step up. Look, I mean, a lot of people were down on, on Troy Brown Jr., after game one. I mean, he banked in a three. He wasn't particularly, didn't look particularly settled uh, on any of his shots or anything like that, but he could very, very easily give you 12 points or something like that, that you're not expecting. Like it's not impossible for other guys to step up. Even if Rui doesn't give you 29, particularly when you've got guys that can shoot the ball, you've got guys like D'Lo, you've got guys who can come in and give you, you know, D'Angelo Russell might go for 25 next year. We don't know. Right. But they've got multiple options for guys who can step up in the moment. And LeBron and AD, who averaged, I believe, 29 and 28 points per game, respectively, this season, they put up 21 and 22. So that's another, like, on average, you're getting another 10 points from each of them. Uh So how much do you need Rui Hachimura to score 29 every game? He can just score 10. And if LeBron and AD put up their averages, that's all the points made up. So, like, it, it... it to me, while Rui Hachimura is never like he's probably not scoring twenty nine, you know, in game two or another game, like whatever, he's gonna score nine, ten, eleven, twelve points, and those other seventeen points extra 
I know exactly where they're going to come from. They're going to come from LeBron. They're going to come from AD. They're going to come from D'Angelo Russell. They could come from Troy Brown. They could come, you know, Malik Beasley could have a, sure. a game where he's hot off the bench. Like, there, there's enough options, and this is what I respect, you know, what the Lakers did at the deadline. They built a team with options. They built a team that can beat you in a multitude of ways and force the defense to have to make really difficult decisions. Yeah, I mean, look, Malik Beasley only played 10 minutes. He could have a 10-minute stretch this next game where he goes 3 of 5 from 3 in 10 minutes. I mean, that's not outside the realm of possibility. I'm not betting on it happening every single night. It's not going to. But once every five games or something like that, sure, you could get that performance. And if, and if you get that, at the same time, when you get LeBron and AD doing their thing, Rui can score 12 or something, and, and you're more than fine. So the Lakers have a lot of different options that can step up for them here, which I think is really exciting because, like you said, this is sustainable, what we saw. It is. But with the caveat that, hey, this game was very close. Don't look at the final score and say, oh, the Lakers are, are crushing this team and this shouldn't even be close. No, it was a very close game. The Lakers just ran away with it at the very end. So just I don't want I don't want Lakers fans to be overconfident here. Be confident, but understand that there is a lot of work to still do in order to win this series. All right, we do need to get into some fan questions and comments. I'm going to get there in just a moment. But first, I need to give a shout out to our sponsor. That is GameTime. GameTime.co. You know, buying tickets online, it can be very stressful. And my the, the biggest stressor for me is in making sure that I get the right price and understanding that I'm getting value. Um, even when I'm going around to multiple different ticketing sites or apps or, or whatever, sometimes it's hard to compare dollars to dollars because you don't know what the final price is going to be until you actually go go to checkout. And by then you've put in information and it just, it's a mess. I, I hate that. And what I love about game time is that you don't have to stress over it. They have something called the best price guarantee. So you know that you're getting the best price. You don't have to stress over that. You can just be excited to go to the event that you're going to. And if you're the type of person who likes to be spontaneous, they have flash deals and last minute tickets that you can find. So you suddenly find yourself with a free evening. You can just go on there, find a great deal for tickets last minute, and off you go to a game, to a concert, to whatever it is that you want to go and check out. Uh, the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section. This is crazy. Find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game time credits you 110% of the difference. Like that's how confident they are with their best price guarantee that if you find tickets at a better price, they're going to give you 110% of the difference. That's, that's confidence. That gives you peace of mind knowing that they are that confident that they are going to be the best price out there. This is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of your seats before you buy. You know exactly what to expect. Uh, you get your tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps, you're all set, and the tickets go directly into your phone so you don't have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use that code Lakers Nation for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Ron, let's talk a little bit with the fans. Let's see what fans are asking about coming off of game one. Jesus uh, said, can we say for certainty that Austin Reeves wants his contract? And then he asks about the situation with AD injuring his arm and then coming back. 
Austin's contract, there was a point earlier in the season where the conversation was, well, do you think the Lakers are going to give Austin the full uh, the full early bird rights deal they can give him, which is about four years, 50 plus, 53-ish million dollars over four years. Now the conversation to me has shifted to how lucky would the Lakers be if they could get Austin to take that, that deal? I would not be shocked if the Lakers are in a situation where they have to match an offer from somebody else for Austin Reeves. Yeah, we're definitely going to see uh, an arenas rule offer that you know probably is somewhere in the ballpark of like, Four years, seventy million. You know, somewhere around there that feels like kind of where his value lies. Uh, and the Lakers, they better match it because I think uh, I think there'll be riots in the streets. <laughs> oh, torch, torches and pitchforks in, uh, yeah. in El Segundo if that if that happens. Um, what is Austin Reeves like when we look at? I, I have so many people saying, "Oh, his game is." I see Pete Maravich in his game, or maybe it's the hair. I don't know. Uh, or I see. Manu Ginobili, or I see a little bit of this player, a little bit of that player. Uh, I've had people say Steve Nash, even. What, what is Austin to you? You know, I don't want to do the the player comparison thing because it's so yeah. difficult to compare, especially when we're talking about players from past eras. Like, it just it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, you know, players in the NBA right now are either a ball handling guard, they're a wing. Or they're a big, or they're like some combination of the two, you know, sure. or tweener. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Austin is becoming a ball handling guard. Um, I think he was a wing for the first year and a half. And in this new team, he has kind of found a role as a ball handling guard. And I think teams are going to want him for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I see him as a, you know, Sixth man or low-end starter, ball handling guard that, you know, is probably not an all-star, but is like a really quality player that can play 30 minutes a night for any team and you're not losing a ton in those. Like, you, you feel good about him playing 30 minutes a night. So I think those types of guys tend to go for pretty decent salary amounts. Uh, so four years, you know, 70, 75 million feels right. You know, I, I, what stood out to me was crunch time. This is the play. This is Austin's first playoff game. It's crunch time. It's a one point game and the ball is in Austin Reeves hands. It's not in LeBron's hands. And maybe part of that is strategy, right? Because Memphis, everybody in the arena, me, like all of us, everyone, expected that in that moment the ball is going to LeBron James and you're going to do something with Anthony Davis. One of the two of them is shooting the ball here. No question. And the Lakers said, no, we've got this guy, Austin Reeves. Let him let him cook. He's going to do his thing. And maybe part of that was strategy because Memphis is thinking, hey, everybody is, you know, the ball's going to AD. Just worry about those guys and don't pay attention to Austin. That created some space for him. But what stood out to me, though, beyond just that, was there were moments where D'Angelo Russell had the ball after getting a stop and rather than bring the ball up himself, he handed it to Austin Reeves. D'Lo's making $30 million this year. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to criticize D'Angelo Russell at all. It was the, the right play to make it. I love the D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves backcourt for the future. So I'm not saying this to criticize D'Lo. I just thought it was interesting that here's D'Angelo Russell, this guy who's been an all-star in this league 
so and beyond just LeBron not being the guy with the ball, D'Lo had the ball on a rebound and said, here you go, Austin. I'm going to go space the floor for you. That, to me, was was interesting to see close out the game. And I think spoke to how much faith the Lakers as a team have in Austin. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, part of that, I think, is strategy. You know, like you were saying, um, like, they trust Austin Reeves. Like, he's the most likely person to get a wide-open shot on a pick-and-roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if D'Angelo Russell or LeBron James does it, then defenses are going to kind of hound that and try to force the ball out of his hands and out of Anthony Davis's hands. Like they're they're going to try to stop both ends of that pick and roll. Same goes for D'Angelo Russell. Um, and I think Austin Reeves, they said, hey, if you're handling the ball in the pick and roll, they're going to overcommit on AD and you're wide open. You can do whatever you want. And it's mm-hmm. cool that they have the trust in him to make the right play there. And it's because he's proven all year that when put in those situations, he does make the right play. Um, you know, I, I I also think he was just the hot hand in that moment. Um, and that's a part of it. You know, he he put up, I think it was uh, nine straight points uh, or seven. Yeah, nine straight points in that in that fourth quarter in that stretch. Um, that's just like what he's been doing all year. It's what he's been doing, especially since the trade deadline. Um, and I, I'm, you know, not surprised that they trusted him in that moment. And there will probably be other moments in this postseason or in this series that they have to trust him like that. We we do we need to move on because I can't just make this the Austin Reeves show. But <laughs> I think it's I think it's important though what he's doing, and and of course in the context of his contract, that's going to matter and everything. But is this a true statement? The best thing the Lakers got out of the Russell Westbrook trade was an unlocked version of Austin Reeves. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, I think, you know, I, I I actually think like the role players in general all benefited from from that trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think Troy Brown Jr. became a much better fit and a much better player since that trade. And so I think 
the most important thing the Lakers got from that trade was like not only the players they received, but just the amount of options they could turn to and feel comfortable turning to them mm-hmm. um, that they didn't have before. Yeah, that uh, they got a better team. That's that's the bottom line. They got a better team. But I do think that Austin benefited quite a bit from yep. that trade. And the Lakers have benefited as a, as a result. Uh, scary situation with AD injuring his arm, but he came back in the game. Yeah, I mean, there were, what, 15 minutes there heading into halftime where I felt pretty strongly. When, when AD said, I can't feel my arm or I can't move my arm, whichever one he said, I went, oh, it's a stinger. Like, I, I felt pretty strongly that it was a stinger and he was going to be okay. For a lot of Lakers fans, though, they went, oh, my gosh, AD, this, this, this season could be over here. There's always going to be that. And this is part of why the Lakers need to finish this series as quickly as they can if the opportunity presents itself, because you just never know. Like, every time AD hits the floor, we're holding our breath. You just never know. But on the flip side, he also showed when he's healthy, when he's at his best, he is incredible. Um, I thought, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., congratulations, just one defensive player of the year. I thought Anthony Davis showed in that game that he's on a different level than Jaron Jackson Jr. when AD's at his best defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I texted a friend of mine, like, right when the injury happened, I was like, it's a stinger, don't worry. But there was definitely some panic, um, especially because the way he reached for his bicep, I thought maybe he, like, he, like, hurt the bicep muscle. Yeah. Um, Just because, you know, a stinger, you would think they'd either reach for the shoulder or the elbow, you know, the joints, like, but he reached for like his bicep muscle. And I was kind of worried for a second that maybe there was something there. Um, but yeah, Stinger definitely made sense. And I'm I'm glad he's okay. That's just, yeah. he really changes the trajectory of the Lakers season by himself. By the way, AD played in like six or seven less games than Jaron Jackson Jr. And yet seemed to totally get discounted as though he missed 75% of the season or something in the defensive player of the year vote. Didn't get a single vote. Yeah, shocking. I hope he uses that as some some whiteboard board material in game two. He played more minutes than Jaron Jackson Jr. this season. Yeah, it's it's insane. Not saying Jaron Jackson Jr. is undeserving or or should not have won it or anything like that. I like Jaron Jackson Jr. a lot, but AD getting no votes is is wild. Uh, this one said, "Go Lakers! Praise for Ja. We don't want to win like this." Yeah, I talked about this on a on our most recent podcast, Ron that what's going to happen is if Jaw is out and the Lakers win, all the haters are just yeah. going to say, and it doesn't really matter what they say, honestly, but they're all just going to say, well, the Lakers only won because John Morant was out. And, and that's it. And they're going to use that as another way to discredit the Lakers. So if I'm, if I'm the Lakers, I'd rather say, hey, we want to see Jaw out on the floor so we can show everybody how good we really are. Um yeah, I don't I don't ever want to see players injured, but that's the the downside. You don't you want to beat teams at their best. Uh, that's what you want to do. Yeah, and you know, people are going to say what they're going to say, you know, guys like Charles Barkley are going to go out and, you know, yes. 5 days before the playoffs say the Lakers have no chance and one game in say they have such an easy path. Uh like the, the switch up is going to happen regardless. Um just go out there and win basketball games. That's all that matters. Uh, you know, banners fly forever. That's what they always say. That's right. It, it is amazing how quickly the narratives shift around around the NBA. I mentioned it the other day, but 
heading into the postseason, the narrative was uh, the postseason in 2020. The narrative was there. This this is a, going to be a legitimate championship. And the Lakers, oh my God, look at this path that they've got. Because remember, the Lakers took their foot off the gas in 2020 completely once they had the the one seed locked up, and so they didn't look yeah. very good going into the the postseason. Oh, the Blazers are going to beat them, and if the Blazers don't beat them, it's going to be Houston, and then it's going to be the Clippers are going to beat them. And then the Clippers blew a three one series lead, um, which is is worth mentioning, of course. <laughs> and then and then it became oh well maybe Miami has a shot. And then but by then the narrative was already shifting from. The Lakers have such a difficult path. They're never going to get there. To the Lakers had the easiest path, bubble championship. None of this counts for anything, and all of that. How quickly things change when it's when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, a parade inside my city. Yeah, Lakers back. Yeah, I mean, I I said don't get too high or low from game one, <laughs> and I I think that is still true. Like again, this. The Lakers looked really good, and I'm really optimistic about them. But there's going the NBA season has been a roller coaster. There will be more highs and lows in the postseason. Yeah. I think just just keep that in mind. Uh, Andrew, General Revis, Rui Awakening, job not done. We've been trying to come up with nicknames for players. We do a lot of puns over on playback. Sure. Uh, Austin Austin Threes, Malik Threes, a lot of them three point related. But one of them that that we have kind of adopted is austin whenever he gets an and one he's ar16 because okay. plus plus one yeah, um, yeah. general revis that's not bad i i don't i don't see that one sticking though no but uh, you know i like it i like i i think people should keep suggesting things because eventually we're going to come up with like yeah. the perfect nickname for him the best i've seen for Rui so far has been hibachi mura to me, I because because you get the the Gilbert Arenas references. You say he's cooking and and all that kind of stuff, um, but he's been a challenging one overall, though, to come up with the the right nickname for. Yeah, I saw one earlier today, and I can't remember what it is now. Um, yeah, I can't remember, but I saw a pretty good one earlier today. I'll have to try and find that. Some are just bad, and, and some are so bad they're good, but. It's it's fun, nonetheless. Uh, Neil said, let's go. Love the win for game one. Rui is a true samurai. Sending love from Darby, England. Well, welcome in. It, Ron, one of the things that I love is um, the international audience that comes in for these yeah. games. It's so, it just in the years that I've been doing this, it's amazing seeing the growth of the NBA around the world. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I, I love getting comments coming in from uh, from fans overseas and everything. Had one earlier. Uh, coming in from India, we we have fans from Australia coming in from all over the place. So so cool to to see. Troopers Even if watching unfortunately, games. watching games at crazy times, troopers. That's that's just it, right? Like when we complain about it being an afternoon game, in a lot of other places, they're going. Thank goodness, finally a game finally, at a, at a regular right. time. Yeah, a game that's like in prime time. I don't have to be up at two in the morning. Right. Yeah. Uh, the plop said the officiating was more garbage than usual today, uh, to be honest. I wonder if that's an office reference with that name. Um, officiating. Yes. <laughs> I felt like the officiating was very inconsistent in game one. I felt like they went out of their way to protect Jaron Jackson Jr. from foul trouble. Like he could have easily had four or five fouls when he was sitting on one. Um, I think the Lakers got away with some stuff too. And somebody brought this up, Ron. They said what was happening in the game was the stars, Ja, 
Jaron Jackson, LeBron AD were being given a lot of leeway and the role players, everybody else essentially were being called for ticky tack fouls. So it wasn't just inconsistency, like half to half or minute to minute or whatever. It was inconsistency, superstar to role player. Did you, did you agree with that? Like, did you catch that or, or, or what did you think about the officiating in that game? You know, I, I didn't, I didn't think the officiating, like, to me, it didn't really stand out as like affecting the game. Um, I think there were some missed calls. I do think the superstars got a more lenient whistle for both LeBron, AD, Jaron Jackson, John Morant, um, which to me is pretty normal. So I, I didn't think this stood out in any particular way. Um, what was interesting, what I thought, like, I, I was going to tweet it out during the game, but I ended up not. Um, I thought what was going to happen is uh, the Grizzlies were going to be winning, winning, winning by like three, four, five, whatever for most of the game. And no one was going to say a word about the officiating. And then the second the Lakers took the lead, there was going to be, oh, they got this call. Oh, they got this call. Like, right. I was waiting for the flip. And because the Lakers ended up winning, um, like, with a convincing score, nobody really talked about it that much. Um, but, yeah, to me, the, the officiating didn't really stand out in any significant way. Well, and the one of the things that I think does need to change, and the Lakers uh, – this was not common, but did a great job hitting their free throws. 14 of 16 at the free throw line. The Grizzlies even better, 15 of 16 at the free throw line. I don't know if either one of those things happens again, but um, the Lakers are a team where their offense is predicated around getting to the free throw line. They've got a number of players that are really good at it. Austin, Dennis Schroeder, LeBron, AD, right? They've got a bunch of guys who are good at getting to the free throw line, and their defense is set up around not fouling and not putting players on the line. So here, and you're just waiting for a Lakers haters to come in and scream about a free throw discrepancy here. The free throws were even on the night, which I think needs to change moving forward for the Lakers in this series, but it was 16 to 16 in terms of free throw attempts. And the Lakers still managed to win the game, which again, given the goals of their offense and the goals of their defense, that's a little bit surprising that that's where we wound up, that the Lakers shot the same amount of free throws as the Grizzlies. Yeah. uh, You know, the Grizzlies are, especially Jaron Jackson Jr. And it's one of the reasons I um, like don't love uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. winning defensive player of the year is they're a, they're a foul happy team. They, they mm-hmm. foul. Um, and especially with no Steven Adams, I thought they were going to foul at absurd rates. I thought Xavier Tillman was going to be out of the game quickly. I thought Jaron Jackson Jr. was going to be in foul trouble quickly. Um, so I commend the Grizzlies for, I think playing a more disciplined defensive game than I thought they were going to play. But I think over the course of the series, I wouldn't be surprised if the Grizzlies revert back to what they've been. And yeah, when that happens, we just need to be ready to put up the barricades and, uh, and prep for the, the, the Lakers haters <laughs> saying, you know, the free throw discrepancy, the Lakers shot 30 free throws. Right. Uh, when this is who the Grizzlies have been all year. By the way, uh, Darvin Ham's commenting right now, as we're recording this, says that the Lakers are going to prepare as though Jaw is playing um, in the next game. I would have to imagine, though, that's the public statement. I have to imagine there's probably skepticism within the Lakers locker room that Jaw is actually going to play in game two. Yeah, of course. Uh, Dimitri, it's a great win. AD was a monster, especially on defense. Again, he showed you that when he's at his best, I don't think there's a better defensive player in the NBA. And yet, again, no love for AD in the defensive player of the year rating um, uh, voting. 
refs, this comment says, refs tried so hard for Memphis. Jaron Jackson, illegal screen every time, no calls. AD fouled so many times, no calls. Yeah, I mean, the play that AD got hurt on, he was, I mean, blatantly fouled by Jaron yeah. Jackson Jr. Nothing. Uh, what a game by the Lakers. Awesome defense. Rui, superstar of the night. So the illegal screen thing, like people complain about the Warriors. If you want to go back farther, talk about Kevin Garnett and the Celtics back in the day. He would set illegal screens every possession down the down the court. Some guys just tend to get away with things like that. Once it's like once they get a little bit of leeway there, it just becomes, oh, that's just this thing that guy does. It's like people complain about Draymond. Why does he get away with some of the stuff he does? Oh, it's just Draymond being Draymond, although he's probably in a little bit more hot water now. Um, but he, this is also kind of playoff basketball. It does get more physical, and you do see more stuff kind of let go, even if some of it was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, that that that's how it's going to be. Uh, the Lakers are probably not going to get a ton, a ton of calls. I mean, they will still get calls if there are like blatantly obvious fouls, I think. But this is how playoff basketball goes. Refs tend to swallow their whistle more. Um, it's, you know, it's why guys like James Harden and, you know, sometimes Trey Young, like guys like that will struggle in the playoffs from time to time because they're not getting the calls that they got in the regular season. Um, so the Lakers are going to need to adjust to that if they're not getting those calls. If they are, then great. Yeah. Yep. V8 tracks. I'm that guy meme loading well austin austin reeves was saying i'm him uh anthony davis i'm that guy uh that was his phrase after hitting the um the big game winner against uh the yeah. nuggets in 2020 running around saying after yelling kobe which by i mean incredible moment right given yeah. kobe's passing and all of that ad hits that shot and then says kobe i mean chills and yeah. then runs around saying i'm that guy he he was that guy that he was that, that guy season. yeah <laughs> Uh, three words, lock Reeves down. Well, that's the great thing about, you know, it feels like for years there, every time we went to free agency, we're like, who can the Lakers go get? How can they add talent to this team? Oh, you can get this guy. Oh, wait, he's restricted. Oh, you can get that guy. Oh, he's restricted. That guy, he's restricted. The Lakers, it feels like, haven't had the benefit of restricted free agency in a while. In fact, the last major one that I can think of off the top of my head is Julius Randle, and he was restricted, and the Lakers said, no, nah, no thanks, we don't want that advantage. We'll let you go sign somewhere else. We'll Kobe make you unrestricted. unrestricted. Yeah. <laughs> Un unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. Now, ultimately, it, it turned into, that money turned into Rajon Rondo, and playoff Rondo is a thing, and okay, wound up all right. But <laughs> Somehow, but, somehow swapping Julius Randle for Rajon Rondo worked in the Lakers' worked. favor. I'll never um, understand it. <laughs> it's, the process was still terrible. In terms oh. of the, the decision making, a terrible process. Um, but now the Lakers are in a situation where Rui Hachimura will be restricted, Austin will be restricted, and the Lakers can match any offer. So, look, if the Lakers say, hey, no matter what, we can't lose Austin Reeves, they're not going to lose Austin Reeves. There's at least some comfort in knowing that. All right, we're going to pause for just one moment. Need to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is Shady Rays. I love Shady Rays. This is this is no joke here. This is not for an ad read or anything like that. Shady Rays have been my daily driver sunglasses for years, even before they became a sponsor. I literally have five pairs of Shady Rays because I've bought so many different styles. Um, they're absolutely phenomenal. So 
Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. They're an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by the lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even one on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase. I can confirm this. I had my sunglasses sitting on the seat in my car. I sat on them. I broke them. I contacted them, got a replacement pair sent to me. This was a year and a half ago that, that this happened. And I and they sent me the replacement sunglasses. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff from them. I, mean, I don't see that from sunglasses companies. Uh, with Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. No risk when you shop with Shady Rays. They have your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving you their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code LakersNation for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Uh, King Deshaun, Vando playing time must equal jaw and leave Beasley out. Darvin Ham can flex today. And what did you think about the game Darvin Ham had from the coaching decision standpoint? In the second half, I thought he was great. Um, you know, the first half, I, 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 I attribute it more to just feeling things out and wanting to kind of stick to a rotation that you're comfortable with. But in the second half, he geared down and he said, this is like, these are the groups that are going to get me there. These are the rotations that are going to get me there. Um, like th this is the group that's going to get me to a win. Um, and I, I really felt like, you know, spamming Austin Reeves and Roy Hachimura in the fourth quarter, like that, mm -hmm. that that's coaching and players, everyone recognizing the defense is letting these two dudes do whatever they want and they're not missing right now. So just keep doing it until something changes. And I think the reflex, you know, for coaches is to like go back to what was working. So, you know, you well, like you go back to LeBron James and Anthony Davis because they're the, you know, they're the guys. But for them to recognize, hey, LeBron, you be a spot up shooter the rest the rest of this game because they're not guarding Austin Reeves and he's not missing. So okay. no need for you to have the ball. I don't get to use this all this often, all that often. So breaking news. Grizzlies coach Taylor Jenkins announces that John Morant has a soft tissue bruise and is officially a game time decision for game two. I think this goes back to what we were talking about. So first of all, soft tissue bruise. Fairly vague, right? In terms of exactly what's what's going on there. And the Grizzlies, I probably know full well whether or not he's playing. But they're going to call him a game time. Decision, no matter what it is, whether it's they know 100% he's playing or 100% he is out, which I think the, the latter is probably more likely. Um, yeah, they, they are not going to make that known. They're going to do everything they can to hide that information, to not let that be known so that the Lakers don't know going into the game whether or not he plays. Uh, Tim McMahon from ESPN adding, an MRI yesterday showed an aggravation of the bruising and the soft tissue in Morant's hand. 
injury originally suffered versus the Bucks in the last week of the season. He did some shooting and dribbling today. So if he could shoot and dribble, though, maybe that's a, a sign that, that he could actually play. But again, the Grizzlies are going to keep everyone guessing on this until 30 minutes prior to game time. Yeah, and you know, that's, that's uh, you know, they're well within their right to do that. Um, the injury looked pretty serious. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play, but, you know, this is John Morant. He's a superstar. I also wouldn't be surprised if he fought through the pain and tried to play. If he does play, you're definitely going under everything and forcing him to show that he can make a jump shot on, on yeah, a bad wrist. And, and I, think, I think Vanderbilt plays, I think, you know, he was playing him full court for a decent amount of this game. I think you you add even more pressure on Jaw and make him dribble more. Um, make him dribble as much as possible. And then when he tries to get around screens, let him go under and let him shoot. I think you force the usage of that hand as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Dennis on Jaw was crucial in the third and fourth. I was worried during game one when Dennis Schroeder picked up three fouls, not defending Jaw. I was concerned at that point. I thought, oh my gosh, he needs he needs to save those fouls for when he's defending Ja. But Dennis is going to be like Dennis was as much as we talk about, oh, Rui's not going to put up 29. I don't think Dennis is going to put up seven points most nights. Yeah. He can have a big game. And, and I think his defense is going to be important. But it's not just Dennis, it's the ability to throw multiple looks at Ja that's going to be important if indeed he plays. Yeah, I think the Dennis's point of attack defense has always been a strong suit of his. And, um, yeah, he showed it in, in the second half. We'll do one more here. Can we keep Austin, Vando, Rui, Reeves, and Russ, D'Lo? Um, so Vando, that decision has already been made. He's got a non-guaranteed or partially non-guaranteed contract for next year. From what we've heard, and this should not come as any surprise, the Lakers have already made the decision. They're keeping him. He's at like $4.7 million next season. So that's already done. You don't have to do anything there. The other guys need to be re-signed. But the answer is still yes. You can keep all of those guys. Um, he mentioned he lists Austin twice, Austin and Reeves. Uh, yeah. It would be great if we could clone him and have two of them. But, mm. but none, nonetheless, yes, you can keep Austin Reeves, Vando, D'Angelo Russell. You can keep all of them if you'd like. Yeah, I think the most difficult one to keep will probably be D'Angelo Russell just because his value is going to be very like you don't we like he probably has the the highest variance in what his mm-hmm. value is going to be um so the Lakers may say hey we're not willing to go above 20 million to keep you and some team comes in and offers him 32 for some reason like that's not out of the realm of possibility um I still think you know you have you have bird rights on the guy. Pay him, uh, pay him whatever he wants. Like not whatever he wants, but like pay him whatever you think will like solidify it. And you can always figure out a way to get away from him later if you need to. Um, I think there's no reason the Lakers shouldn't keep all of these guys unless they work out some type of big de- big time trade, uh, which would be difficult with the hard cap and everything like that. But we can get into that another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's wrap things up there. Uh, Ron, always fun to talk Lakers basketball with you. Thank you so much for, for coming on here. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, game game two on Wednesday. Let's do this. That, 
That's right. Let's go. Let's go. And again, Lakers Nation, make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. And then over on Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating and review. Follow us on Spotify, wherever it is, really, that you listen to podcasts. Until next time, everybody. See ya. And stay safe.